Hallo, liebe Freunde. Hallo, dear friends. What does the Bible have to say about worshiping creation rather than the Creator? This is what the whole question on ecology, environment and responsibility for the environment is about. I am trying to answer that from the Bible and I think it will be worth it for you to watch this message. We're living in a time when many things are shaken and I would like to read to you from Hebrews 10 verse 3. It's through faith we have recognized that the world has been made through the Word of God, so everything that is seen was made from nothing. So this one verse here, and then we shall look at it a bit closer later on. By faith we have recognized that the world has been made by the Word of God, so everything that is seen has come to be out of nothing. So it is nothing new that the Bible speaks about times of shakings. We keep reading about that over and over again. But I believe I don't need to be a prophet or to hear a prophetic word, or you can read about this, in order to see that, especially in recent years, we have seen a very strong and powerful development that is the ecological sector, you know, climate change, world climate warming. Is that just fear-mongering or why is it that a 16-year-old can speak at the World Climate Conference demanding the world to drop into panic? And at the same time, the world is really running after her and honoring her. And then there are political decisions that are taken in no time whatsoever. And so you can really see that whatever was thought to be secure doesn't work anymore. And so last Sunday while I was speaking, Frank Pfeiffer here from the travel agency Pfeiffer told me was that one of the uh, oldest and most traditional travel agency Thomas Cook collapsed and all of a sudden you see the automotive industry coming coming to its knees it's considered to uh, to be an enemy and everything that used to be secure is insecure now and even moral values are considered not valuable anymore and don't worry i don't want to uh, cause panic now but first of all what we need to realize that there have been times of shaking all over history so things come that you wouldn't have imagined before and so I was thinking back a little bit because I come from a time when it was like taken for granted that you spoke about the Eastern Bloc. And there was no idea whatsoever that this so-called Iron Curtain could ever come down or that you would have free access maybe. But it did happen from one moment to the next and suddenly you realized that the Soviet Union just dissolved and the first thing we did was a prayer expedition from Berlin to Moscow and it took place at a time that was called Perestroika. It was a time of restructuring and it happened from one moment to the next and that resulted in the fall of the wall, which you couldn't have imagined either. You know, just unimaginable that this wall would ever was ever going to come down just a few weeks before or a few months before we had been at that wall that separates 
uh, Eastern and Western Berlin, and we prayed there, and there was no thought of ever this being possible that it would come down, but it happened. Or maybe entire ideologies, it was about communism. Something actually collapsed. So sometimes things happen that you could not imagine beforehand, but suddenly they're there. And this is also something we find in the Bible. We see that in the times of Noah, for instance, you know, creation was not so very long ago. And then we read that uh, in God's eyes, the earth was wicked and full of sin. And we know what happened. There was a huge flood that came down. Or maybe if we take a close look to the Old Testament, we find uh, all these battles with the big empires of Egypt, Babylon, Persia. None of these empires remained, but they collapsed, even though they were really powerful beforehand. Or maybe Hellenism uh, that came through Alexander the Great. He built a completely huge kingdom or empire, and at one point he simply drowned in a river and his great empire broke into pieces from one moment to the next so it's so easy for this to happen or at the time of Jesus the huge Roman empire built up on dominion and 300 years later it collapsed completely and vanished so what we see when the Bible speaks about these things, it's something very up-to-date, and we people are like that. You know, we love security, and we actually don't particularly like to think about um, shakings and all, all these doomsday prophets, and we don't want that. But this is not what this is about. But the question is, how can we live in times like this so we can be close to God, we can be protected and safe with Him, and so we can make a difference? So we don't live in a climate of fear that catches up on us. And Haggai 2 verse 6, only a little while and I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and the dry land. That's Haggai 2 verse 6. And it's interesting, this word, because I always understood it to mean that it's, yeah, shakings, earthquakes or something of that sort. But actually, this is a shaking that is much more far-reaching. It's a shaking in all areas. So the very foundations of what used to work do not work any long anymore. The principles that used to work won't work anymore. And the question is, where does that come from? And I think it's actually worthwhile looking at a few of those verses that we find in the Bible. Because the Bible is a wonderful help to get a sense of direction. It is the Word of God. The Bible knows things that we actually are not even aware of, that we don't realize. And the first point here is that there is a creator of heaven and earth, and he is the living God. And so this living God who made heaven and earth spoke through his word, his command. That's what we see in Genesis 1, verse 2. He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. So he speaks through his word. God is the creator of heaven and earth. And because God alone is the creator, we are his creation. So maybe that you might take that for granted. But if he is the creator, and if he speaks his word, he has power over all other powers. He has authority over the sea and wind. He has power over climate, over storms maybe. 
He has the power. He speaks but one word. Otherwise, this wouldn't have worked. You know, when, for instance, Moses and the people of God left Egypt and they stood at the Red Sea and then the sea split because of the word? Why did it split? Because God had power. Not Moses, but God spoke but one word. Or the story of Jesus, maybe, where it's about the calming of the storm. There was a storm, and Jesus just said one word, and the storm calmed down. Why? Well, he is the Son of God, of course, but he also is Creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Creator has power over the elements. He spoke only one word, and the storm was calmed. And therefore, the Word of God actually excludes all kinds of other worship. It's the living God alone who mu must be worshipped and who is allowed to be worshipped. Not the heavens, not the earth, nothing that He has created. Nothing that He brought forth uh, can be worshipped. It doesn't have strength, power or dignity to be worshipped. You know, there's so many people and cultures who worship Earth as the Divine Mother or plants or animals or nature. But God can show himself to man through creation, but he said, I am the only one to be worshipped. Everything else is submitted under my rule. Everything that exists has been made by me. And so there's a wonderful passage in Isaiah 40. You can look that up with me. And I really was looking forward to reading this to you. You know, because sometimes we've got such a warped idea about God. Because, you know, this creator, the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's the same God, and he becomes so small in us. But here it says, this is like worship here. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? So the waters are the oceans. Who has measured all the water that's here on the earth? Who has measured that in the hollow of his hand? Who keeps it in, his, in the palm of his hand? That's the creator, the living God. He's so great, so uncomparable that all of the floods, the storms, everything he can hold in his hand. Who, or with the breath of his hand, marked off the heavens. So all of cosmos, all of the universe, all of the Milky Way and the galaxies, everything we cannot understand, he just simply takes it and measures it with the breath of his hand. That's how great our Creator God is, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket. So this dust of the earth, everything that makes the earth, the ground, the earth, the soil, all deserts, all stones and rocks, who takes it and holds it and measures it in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. So say, this is our living God. This is our creator. He is so great. He is so incomparably great, so unthinkable. And yet he's the one who created all of this, heaven and earth. He created you and me. And who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? He is alone. And so all of these nations, 
And he says, these nations are considered like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. And so all of a sudden, our entire perspective changes. You know, we've got the perspective, small, small, but God's perspective is infinitely greater. And then he says, who do you want to compare God to? And when I read that, I say, Lord, I can't compare you to anyone. I can't even understand how great you are. And then it says here, do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you not heard right from the beginning? The Lord is the everlasting God right from the outsets of the earth. Verse 22, then it says, He is high above the circle of the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. All of atmosphere, everything that's there, He simply stretches it out like a tent. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. No sooner they are planted, no sooner they are sown, no sooner they take root in the ground, then He blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. And so first of all, let's keep hold of this. This tremendous, great and incomparable God, this creator. No storm, no wind, no not even a single degree of temperature can touch him. No climate change can actually go past him without him knowing. He is so mighty that creation does not slip out of his hand. Isn't that good news? This God is a great God. And so this takes us to point number two. Because he is so incomparably great, this creation has had a destiny right from the outset. There was chaos and he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And we know the six days of creation and he brings forth all of creation, heavens and the earth. He divided the waters from above the heaven, from the waters below the heavens. And he had one goal, one destiny, and that was man. And then you can read that in the story of creation. He made mankind. He made man who was called to rule over creation. And this man, he wasn't, you know, somehow an accident. And oops, oh dear, that made a mistake there. But man, God also said about him, it is very good. So man was actually created in the image of God. And he was created as the crowning beauty of creation. He was the crown of creation. And when he made man, God said, it wasn't like, you know, oh well, a chimpanzee, a chimpanzee uh, orangutan, orangutan, uh, human, toad, whatever. No. It was the crown of creation. He gave him a unique position, and we find that in Psalm 8, verse 5. What is man that you remember him, the son of man, that you would take care of him? You made him a little lower than, man, than God, and you have crowned him with honor and glory. So he gave him a unique position. 
And God showed this by sending his beloved son who became a man. That's why he was also called the son of man. So this is a special position. And the goal of creation was but this word that God had spoken let there be light and this word that he spoke so man would be created and come to life this word should be honored in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God and so creation was given a destiny by God and man was in the center of that destiny point number three this creation actually was given an order by God and an order that remains. So God didn't bring forth creation and the earth and he separated heaven and earth and the waters above from the waters below and then at some point it all got mixed up again. But God said in creation there was a an order that was to remain. There was the course of the stars, a changing of summer and seasons, winter, the seasons, day and night, sowing and reaping. And in all of these orders that God had established in creation, we find man. God as the creator, as Lord, and in the center there is man. Not first of all the animals, as pretty and cute they may, might be, or not even plants, not sowing, not the sea, not the ocean, as a partner of God, as in, in the image of God. Man who was able to decide between obedience and disobedience. Man who was able to decide to worship God or to walk his own ways. And my friends, this is taking us to a very important point. Number four, because always when man starts placing creation above the creator, there were times of shaking, of judgment and shaking. And you can find that in the Bible also. Whenever man did not keep in mind the order that God had created, when he started worshipping creation, nature, things, and placing them above the creator, please understand me correctly, not thinking them beautiful, enjoying them, uh, that is wonderful, no, the word of God allows that. But once we place creation above God, there have always been times of judgment and shaking. And this is what Paul speaks about in Romans 1, verse 23 to 28. And I would like to read a few verses here, because I think it's so tremendous. These verses, just as if they were written for this time, and I don't need to preach much, but I just will read a few of those verses for you. Starting in verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity 
for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So Paul actually speaks about a special time there, and here he's speaking to people who have left behind God's order of things and who started worshipping creation, whatever way their idols might have looked like. He describes that in verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served. Here, they served created things ra rather than the Creator. And so you might think, oh, well, that's not a big deal. Well, of course, if you love nature, no. For God, this is the one key there is, because he is creator. He is the great and incomparable God. So this is what Paul writes. And so it is as if this were written for today. And so then what happens? Because man stomped on God's truth with their feet and also worshipping nature and, and Paul says this is stepping on God's truth because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another that's what Paul says you know men committed indecent acts with other men and received them themselves the due penalty for their perversion well Paul great that you didn't say it here because otherwise you would have had real problems who knows and then it continues here he continues to describe the indifference towards God. They didn't really seek to know him. They didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. And therefore, he gave them over to a depraved mind. You know, that spoils your entire life. Our attitude can actually spoil our lives. So that's really drastic how God describes that, to do what ought not to be done. And then he describes how evil explodes, depravity. You know, I can see internet, WhatsApp, Instagram, or wherever this happens. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, drugs, malice. They're gossips, slanderers. So somehow, it's a time of deceit and lies that are des is described here. So somehow it sounds extremely familiar. And then it says, verse 30, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things, they deserve death. So sometimes it's good to actually hear the gospel straight, what Paul is saying here. And why? Why is that happening? You know, this is shaking also. The moral values are not considered of any value at all. Perversion, Im impurity. Romans 1.25, you know, they have twisted God's truth. They exchanged the truth for a lie and worship and serve creation instead of the Creator.
So it's interesting that the Bible says how we are to understand creation, because sometimes, maybe you know that too, you try and think about it as if it was like a closed book for you. And I've already read that to you. It's in a very well-known connection, Hebrews 11, verse 1, which is uh, about faith. You know, faith is a solid conviction of what we believe for. And faith in the Old and New Testament is also has this component of solid, something solid, a refuge, a hold in God. But then this verse continues. By faith, we understand. So you need to, see, to have the eyes of faith, so you would really understand creation. By faith, we understand. In our spirit, we realize something that we wouldn't realize otherwise without faith. So that's what this verse says. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, by His Word. So that the universe was formed at God's command through His Word. God is Creator. He spoke. And this Word has power and authority. He spoke, let there be light. And there was light. And so this is how the world was created, by the Word of the living God. This is what this says here. So that what is seen was not made of what was visible. So it was made by what was not there. So there was different kinds of theories, you know, what was there, what kind of substance was there. No, here we see from nothing, from zero, just only by the word of God, something was created. So we need the eyes of faith. So that means we need to actually commit to the word of God, okay? But let's get to the next point, and then we'll understand all of a sudden something else. And that is, creation is not eternal. It's quite simple, but we need to understand that. We can't read anywhere in the Bible that creation would remain forever and ever, because creation is perishable. There is a beginning and an end. And that's why we've got life and death and weather, storms, destruction, floods, drought. And we can actually read even more that creation is subject to subject to perishing and it needs redemption just like man himself. That's Roman 8 verse 20. Because creation is subject to perishing, that's what Paul says, without its own will, but by him who subjected it. But in hope. Or the other word verse is Romans 8.22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So this is not glorious paradise and uh, rainforest and so on. Yeah, no, no, that's there's something that's depraved here. It's, it's something that is shaken, something that needs to be liberated from its bondage, something that needs to be set free and liberated from decay. And yes, of course, man has responsibility for creation. That's not the question. The Word of God says that the garden needed to be taken care of, that man needed to rule. Of course man is responsible for creation. Of course, my friends. No question about that. But under the order and rule of God, and that is the main difference. 
And I said that last Sunday, everyone who loses their grip here in the Word of God, who loses their sense of direction, who no longer find direction in the Word of God, you become victim to fear. You become victim to fear of the future and you are imprisoned by a new ideology. And let me call it an ecological ideology. And I want to explain this to you. Because this is not about party politics, but this is about something completely different. It's about understanding something that is written in the Word of God. Because you see, God is creator, right, with his word. And man is at the center of creation, we found that here. And so this is what the Bible says. But we live in a time when there is a dramatic shift and creation is placed in the center of life again, cut free from the Creator, cut off of Him who made the heavens and the earth. Well, Jobs, now you said something. Why, why are you calling this an ideology? Why are you saying something like that? Well, we, in our Veil of Silence seminars and working through the past, we are thinking a lot about ideologies. And of course, we've been really dealing with National Socialism. Working through history, uh, you have to describe it as ideology, also connected to a certain form of faith. So what is ideology? A certain way to look at the world. And so they define values and norms, and they evaluate the way the others behave, and so you're either in or out. And so that's inclusivity and exclusivity. These are kind of the terms that are used for ideologies. And so an ideology is something that forms the values and the norms of a society. And there, I read something about a man that I thought was really interesting, an astrophysicist. And I would also like to read this to you. So he wrote the following thing, Mr. Weber, so the name is changed, is not just anyone, but he's a high functionary of a large German uh, ecological organization, someone who, an influencer, he has a voice, he's heard not just by the members of his association, but also by the press and the public. But Mr. Weber is afraid. And it says, it turns out that Mr. Weber thinks that if the earth continues warming up, that our society would be doomed. He thinks that we are heading towards an apocalypse of uh, biblical dimensions. And the astrophysician says the following thing, he says about himself, I am actually uh, not of the same opinion. I thought everybody else uh, agreed with me, because if we were to take a time machine to travel to the year 2100, our world would surely be different. But I'm sure we would still feel uh, comfortable enough to find our way around. Whether climate change or not, people will still love and laugh and enjoy their free time. They will fly into the holidays and go to the sports stadiums on the weekend, uh, just in parentheses, unless Jesus has come back before that. 
But actually, that's how the astrophysicist continues. This is not imaginable uh, for Mr. Weber because um, Mr. Weber uh, is faced with a wall of climate change and he can't look beyond and there he stops. So he says Mr. Weber is someone in this eco uh, ideology of ecology and there's two marks, fear of the future and also a kind of a missionary mindset. And this is what you hear, you know, I want you to be in panic and we forgive you. These are kind of the words that we heard uh, from Greta Thunberg. And please remember, and then I have almost finished with my excursion here, if you lose your firm hold in God, in the word of God, and if you seek this hold in people, you will fall into fear about the future and you will become prisoner of an ideology. And therefore, in all of this ideology that we are faced with here today, that uh, actually m causes you to defend yourself very quickly. Well, of course. Yeah, you would uh, put on the defensive very quickly. But these terms here are the following. Nature is not just something that has been created, something that has an order. But the, the outset for that mindset is untouched nature without human interference that is then influenced by mankind. And in their mindset, that is something that is highly offensive. So nature has an independent right to existence outside of being influenced by mankind. So it is actually an against each other, man and nature. Man is the enemy of what needs to be preserved, and because he's the enemy of what needs to be preserved, he needs to take a step back in all areas, otherwise he actually damages that untouched nature. And so values are redefined. Maybe you realize that. There is an end-of-the-world mindset that's a secular form of the apocalypsis, actually. The world will end. Everyone will die. There will be millions who will be affected. Actually, it's a form of the apocalypse. And it stirs infinite fears in people. Sinners become ecological sinners. It's not Sin is nothing that's between you and God, but sinners are those who don't uh, understand they can't drive an SUV, or those uh, who, who um, pollute the air. So mankind in itself is bad and needs to be educated, therefore. They need to be limited because man himself cannot understand, with his reason, what is good. And therefore, the sustainability, that's a word we know very well, is actually something like a sanctification of ecology. So we need to be more sustainable. You need to be sanctified in the way you live. Radical lifestyle that, that has been uh, ridiculed for decades now as asceticism in cri Christian faith suddenly is praised in a young girl and turns that young girl into an icon or into a saint. 
And so success can only come if you're successful with your body as well. So if you've got a fat belly, you can't have a career because you did not take responsibility for your body. And we see that the dangers are there of ostracizing people and being extremely intolerant of people who think differently, differently and who live differently. And that's a mark of an ideology. You call that exclusivity. And that is actually the very foundation of this climate debate. It is an ideolo ideologically founded fear of the climate disaster combined with a missionary sense of uh, needing to influence and determine the way others think and feel about the world. So what does the Bible have to say about this? So if we get back to the Bible after this brief uh, excursion, in the last few minutes of my message, I really want to talk to you personally on that. Because the Bible somehow seems to have a different perspective on this. We even see uh, pollution of the Nile, okay? The entire Nile is polluted with blood. We see a global flood. You know, the, the big flood is, is a global flooding. We see natural disasters, uh, locusts, frosts, ice coming from heaven, cosmic powers, fires, a darkening of the sun. Well, actually, you we're able to read about that every now and then, that uh, the foundations of the earth, the pillars of the earth shake. You could read about that, we don't know. But anyway, creation somehow seems to be out of bounds, so that's nothing new. And we have a responsibility for creation, that's not a question. I want to say that for the benefit of those who listen, or maybe who, who suspect me to have a different agenda. That's not what this is about. But the Bible shows us that when God's order of creation is suddenly starting to shake, that's always a sign that God is warning. It's a sign for impending judgment. And it's always a call to repentance. It's always a call to repentance. It is always creation groaning as in, in birth pains. And God wants to say something through creation. And what he says is always the same thing. He says, repent, repent. Come back to the Creator. Come back to him who speaks one word. Come back to his prophetic word, the word that has power and authority. So God has given us responsibility, no question. But God wants man, despite all chaos and disorder, to keep hold of God's order and worship him, because as soon as man makes himself lord over creation and exalts creation above the creator and maybe makes man the out to be the enemy of creation, he actually leaves God's creation order and leaves the worship of God and becomes an idolater. And the consequences is a climate of fear. And just take a look at, at the uh, TV reports that we find, talk shows and whatever. It's a climate of fear, limitation of freedom. 
And praise the Lord that this is still part of the democratic values that we have. Personal rights, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. We're very grateful for that. But a limitation of freedoms, a curtailing of freedoms. Values are redefined as a consequent. Orders are torn down, family, nationality, even gender. Lies and truth. The past five or ten years. So God takes it very seriously talking about truth and his command do not lie you shall not give false testimony is still valid today increasing anti-Jewish anti attitudes why? because the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is one God and he is God the creator and we worship this one God and he is the creator and an increasing dictatorship of ideological thinking. But in closing, I would like to speak about the fact that the Word of God says there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. You know, at some point there will be something new. Isaiah 66.2 As the heavens and earth won't stand before me. So God is bringing forth something new that will remain forever. Second Peter 2 We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. According to his promise and Revelation 21 Here, the last book of the Bible I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea had also passed away. Praise the Lord. And so, let's take a look into Malachi 2. How was that? You know, the shaking? What was that? So not only man is shaken, and it's not just about an earthquake here and there, but let's take, let's take a look into that. In a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, everything. And this shaking means it leaves its order. The thing, things won't work as they used to work. And I believe that all of the glaciers that are melting and all of the warming of the seas and the earth and everything that they speak about, this is actually included in this. And I will also shake all the nations. So nations will shake. They will not remain as they are. But while this is happening, God says, I suddenly start doing something unusual, something unheard of that you didn't th think would happen. At that time, I won't... You are not doing what you're supposed to do and, and you're not staring on this. But this is not a time of fear, but actually it's a time of hope and faith where I do something unheard of that I've never done before. So all the treasures of the nations are coming. I will fill my house with the treasures of the earth. I will do something in my house. And first of all, this is of course about the temple. So when everything is, is destroyed, something new will be built up. The house of my presence is built. And first of all, God looks to Israel. And then from Israel, he looks into our nations. And from there, he looks to us here in Tübingen or in, into your city, wherever you are. And the glory of the second house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. So what's happening is greater 
And this is the time when my glory comes into my church, into my house, and I come with my presence unlike anything you could imagine. And I will give peace in this place, says the Lord Almighty. So times of shakings is also times of revival. Times of shaking are God's preparation times for his people when he will use them. God's shaking is a time of preparation for the harvest unlike anything we've seen before. And the glory of his house is not just seen by wonderful and glorious services filled with his glory, but it's also because the treasures of the nations are coming. And you know what these treasures of the nations are? It's not diamonds and jewels and some precious things, but these treasures are those who have nothing else. People with broken lives who need Jesus, who are crying out to God and says, I need you, and they're coming in. So the treasures here are out there on the street. The treasures of the nations are in your jobs. They're waiting for you to pray with them. The treasures of the nations are all over the place and they're waiting for your prayers to call them in into his kingdom so they won't have to be afraid anymore. So they don't have to worship nature or themselves anymore. That they don't have to cling to a firm nail. People who look so powerful and then this nail is coming crashing down. But who keep a hold of the living God. And then the Lord says, and he speaks to Sarah Babel, at this same time, I will do something with you. And I love this word. And I believe he says that also to you. At this time, I will do something. At this time when others are desperate, when students don't have a sense of direction anymore, when an entire nation with passionate and with all their heart, they want to change things. But they need God and they need Jesus. At this time, I have a plan with you, says the Lord, and now is the time. I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. And I want to tell you, you are here, and you maybe you're watching via TOS TV, you are following Jesus, and also God has chosen you. God has chosen his people Israel, but he has also chosen you as his child, his son, to walk with him, to make a difference. He hasn't chosen you, so you would lead a life of hopelessness and a life where you have lost a sense of direction, but he has a plan for you and he says, listen, I hold you like Zerubbabel, like my signet ring in my hand. And this signet ring, we know that, it wasn't like a huge big thing like that, but this signet ring was something that was pressed into soft wax. And this signet ring and was pressed into something really soft that needed to be something that needed to be formed. And this wax needed to be formed in his hand. And in order for us to be a signet ring in his hand, it's a mark of his authority and his love, a, a symbol of his sonship, that he has given you the same love and authority, the same calling. But first, to do that, he needs to take you in his hand. And when the hand of God is around you with his warmth, with his love, 
then it makes you soft. It makes our heart soft. Have you worked with uh, soft Play-Doh, for instance? At first it looks really horrible, lots of crumbs, and you don't really want even to touch it, and not don't want to work with it. But if you keep it in your hand for a while, it starts getting softer and softer, and that's what the Lord wants to do with you at this time and with me. He wants to take us in his hand and make us softer and softer. But you need to say yes to that. And that's why the word of God says, neither heights nor deaths nor powers nor authorities can take you out of my hand. You need to be in, in my hand. And he takes you and he makes you such a signet ring. And then he presses this the wax into the seal. And if you are soft, it means you are receptive to God. And if you are receptive, it, you're not sitting in a service and your heart is closed and hard, and you don't go to prayers and are far away in your mind, but you're receptive. And then he forms his name and presses it into that seal, into that wax. Redeemer, Savior, Healer. His name, his special name is what he is forming into your life and you carry that seal because the word of God says we are like a living letter signed for him. And because you are that, he says, I take you and hold you like a signet ring and I give you my authority. So wherever you go, it's as if I were to go there. What you say, what you speak, is as if I were to speak it. Where you pray, it's as if I were saying it at that place. Wherever you go, it doesn't matter where it is, in your job or wherever. When you are such soft wax in my hand pressed with my seal I will use you you pray and all of a sudden the people come to you you are there and people are asking you for help you can be such a seal in his hand a signet ring to open and to close like with the key of David so my friends let's take a stand